So Nikki says, um, is there a way to integrate the ego and have it work with you instead of against you? <clears throat> Shouldn't we love all parts of ourselves or do we need to completely transcend ego to be free from it? So this is a, another common question. I won't say too much on this because it's a pretty clear answer, which is both of what you're saying is the same thing. Should we love parts of us or transcend them? It's You're saying the same thing with just different words. To love something is to transcend it. To love something is to detach or remove your sense of self from it. And that's what we call transcendence and integration. Yeah. When you transcend a part of yourself, you could say, I've integrated that part of myself. I've grounded it in my beingness. So that part of myself no longer crops up to take over the show and pull all my energy from my mind and, and cause all kinds of suffering. That part of me has been glued back together, right? Into my beingness. So all these aspects of us, um, our personal self, our sexual self, our spiritual self, like we play all these different kind of energetic roles in life. They all have to be integrated, which means they all have to be loved. Until so you love, accept, embrace every part of you, even ego, then uh, you can't transcend it. If you're making ego enemy, then you can't transcend it. You're giving it life. You're saying, yes, you ego truly are a supreme villain in my mind, and I shall battle with you. And we shall duke it out in our mind and see who the victor will be. Bunch of separation, yeah? So instead, we just say, oh, just old energy in the mind, repeating patterns. Really, you see, there is no ego. There is no ego entity that I can have a relationship with. It's just past karma. It's just past inertia, energy, repeating itself in my mind until I deal with it in a certain way that causes it to be quiet. And then where's the ego? It never was really there, right? If you, closed your, if you all close your eyes right now, and I ask you, what experience do you have of being a body apart from the five sensations? Taste, touch, hear, smell. What, what experience of I am a body can be there if we delete all of these sensations, all five? You can't see the body, can't hear the body, smell it, taste it, touch it. Where's the body? Well, it's disappeared, right? There's no body apart from those five senses. So in the same way, we can say there is no mind apart from the contents of the mind. So this is why all the Vedas say this. There is no mind. You'll eventually see this. The more you watch your mind and get really familiar and intimate with it in your awareness, you start to realize, yeah, there is no mind. It's just energy moving in consciousness. Because when there's no contents crop cropping up, there's no mind either, right? The mind is just, as we say in module one, the activity. And mind is always looking for ways to be in activity. It doesn't even care, right? It'll take the lowest kind of activity or the highest. It'll take um, unworthiness and insecurity and victimness just as much as it'll take pride and selfishness. They both say, well, I'm here still as an individual separate self. So the enlightened mind has to go beyond both of these. I say all activity, you know, whatever appears is not me. It's just energy. I'm witnessing it. I am the witness of it. 
And so in that way, you, you start to see for yourself through direct inner experience, there's no mind. Apart from contents, where is it? It never appears, does it? There's never a mind apart from its contents. So we can say there's just content, which is what? Just energy, thought, subtle thought energy. So it's like, yeah, there's not even really that. I already have all the power I need to transcend the mind because I can give my attention or detract my attention from anything I want. Try it. <laughs> See for yourself. Have a thought and then just decide to stop paying attention to it. Now, some thoughts have lots of gravity. Yeah, and they, they want to pull your attention back. But I can also be aware of that. Oh, this thought has a lot of gravity. Just going to have to be a little more mindful of this thought because if I get into laziness, it'll grab my attention. But nevertheless, if I stay aware of this thought and keep diverting my attention away, I, I destroy that thought. It has no life source without me, without my attention. I am the oxygen tank it's breathing from. So if I deny attention from it, it immediately begins dying, losing energy, and then it disappears. And when a cloud dissolves into the sky, you know, do we, can we really say the cloud was real? It's sort of like, nah, the cloud was more of an appearance of the sky. The cloud was something the sky was doing. The sky alone is real. The cloud, temporary movement. We just keep making such a big deal about temporary things. That's the habit. That's the activity of the mind. This thought, oh, means everything. This story, because I remember it, oh, super important. And then you're in bondage again. Back go the shackles, right? Until awareness dawns, oh, just a thought, just another cloud in the sky of awareness doesn't actually mean anything because I'm eternal. So maybe a trillion years ago, I was in some other body having the same experience, you know, an alien with six arms or something, green skin with two suns in the sky. Picture it, right? You're in some other lifetime a trillion years ago having the same experience. And yet here you are now, that lifetime is disappeared without a trace. So why do I have to keep giving meaning to everything my mind does? Oh, I don't. I can be the eternal here and now and find true freedom, which means it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter if the mind thinks thoughts, if feelings appear. It's all just another cloud in the sky, and I can be the witness of it. I can be in the back eating popcorn, watching the show, and very much enjoying the show for what it's worth, but not being involved in it. When the movie's over, we go home, right? We can have that same relationship with the contents of our mind, a place where everything is equally endowed with love. It's all seen as another way for me to know myself. It's all another teacher for me in some way. Everything becomes beautiful from that lens. So in that way, you could say the, the heart is like the interface uh, between the mind and reality. We say that mind can't know reality. I've said that over and over again. But what can know reality is the heart, love. It's an experience, not a concept. So the, when the mind, instead of trying to look out by itself, looks down and out through the heart, all of a sudden, it actually knows reality for the first time. 
but it can't say anything about it, which is the paradox. None, none of its concepts apply through when looking through the heart. And yet there's this total satisfaction at the same time of, oh, well, once I really know it, why do I need to say anything about it? Why do I need labels? Why do I need definitions, ideas? They can be helpful pointers and that's it. I'd rather just open my heart and experience reality. So have that relationship with your ego, yeah? Look at the ego through the eyes of the heart and see that all it is, is your own past efforts coming back again and again until you transcend them. So it's a, a beautiful teacher and you can love this illusion that we call ego from that point of view, even though yes, it has been the cause of my suffering, that suffering had a greater purpose, which was to awaken me from this nightmare I'm living, that I'm separate from my source. And what's more loving than waking someone up from a nightmare? <laughs> I said I wasn't going to say a lot about that one. Should have known better. 